Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fireside Chat Fridays, sponsored by Parents for Public Schools Syracuse, where we talk about all things related to education here in Syracuse, New York. I'm your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce, and today I am joined by two guests, Dr. Chanel Benson-Reed, who is a candidate for the Onondaga County Legislature in the 14th District. She's also a special education teacher with 20 years of experience. My other guest is Maria Face. She's a parent here in the Syracuse City School District, and she also works with my family, with my kiddos, as a mentor and a support person for them as they go out into the community. So, Chanel, I want to start with you and tell us a little bit more about yourself and your experiences in special education. So, um, a little bit about me. I'm originally from Southern California. I am the mother of four. I have a husband. I live in the North Syracuse area, town of Clay, District 14, as you stated. Um, And I actually got into education because of my son, who is now 28. Uh, In Southern California, I felt like the educational system wasn't created for him to be a success. And while I was on my own education journey, Um, I had decided to switch everything that I was doing, transfer out of the uh, doctorate program I was focused on and pursue a special education certification to help my son. I I felt like there was no way I could adequately advocate for him on the sidelines. I felt like I didn't know the language of education. I did not know how to navigate educational realms. I did not know how to connect with people in education, whether it was teachers or leaders. And so uh, I decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to be a, a teacher for my son because I don't know if I do decide not to do this, if he will be successful. And I come from a long line of people who were not successful in school. I'm the oldest of um, around 35 to 40 grandchildren. And of all of us, two of us went to college. Um, There are a few who had some college, many dropped out in high school, some stopped going in middle school, others stopped going in elementary school. And so I didn't want my son to be another statistic. And so I decided that the best way I could help him was to become a special education teacher. When I talked to people about my my, um, desire to go into education, at no time did I consider anything other than special ed. I never considered gym, ELA, anything. I only wanted to do special ed because I felt like I wanted to you know, um, I wanted to do what I could to help him. Now, math was my best subject, so I probably could have been a pretty good math teacher. I'm a history buff, and so I wouldn't have mind social studies. But when it came to really understanding what his needs were, I felt like special education was the route I needed to take. Hmm. That sounds a little bit like how I became an advocate. Uh, I have my my own children with disabilities, and oh, I need to learn all of the things to be able to yeah. to advocate for my children and make sure that they get an appropriate education. So, Maria, I, want, I wanted to, to you to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit more about your experiences. 
Hi, I'm Maria Face. Um, I have three children in schools. One of them is in Syracuse City School District. Um, I have dealt with both North Syracuse School District and Syracuse City as a parent for special needs children. Um, and I began learning a lot more to advocate for my kids because of the problems we were running into in navigating the systems that we needed to navigate to get them the help that they needed. So I, uh, I have a couple of questions here. Um, a couple of them are specific to the county legislature. Now, the Onondaga County Legislature, the county of Onondaga, it has a diverse number of communities. We have suburban, um, we have urban here in the Syracuse, in the city of Syracuse, and we have the suburbs, and then we have the, the rural areas outside that. So my question is, what can the county legislature, what do you see the county legislature's role as in helping to provide for all those communities what they actually need, especially in terms of education? Um, is that for me or? Uh, yes, Chanel, that's for okay. you. So when I think of my role as a um, candidate for county ledge, what I think about is equal access to mm. education. And when it comes to schools like, or school systems like the city of Syracuse, what I consider is what, what is the tax base and how is that tax base supporting the school system? Um, you know, what are the hiring practices when it comes to recruiting people from diverse backgrounds and situations? Um, you know, what are the guidelines for making sure that people who work in the city are 100% familiar with the students who represent that community? Um, there's a lot that I think about, and I'm going to say there's a lot that I think about. One, because I am a business owner and I understand what it means when people have businesses in uh, communities that are underserved and they take money into communities that are uh, fully developed. And so I, I guess I look at the, um, the big picture, maybe from the balcony. What is it that we need to do to ensure that all of our young people have equal access to education and equal access to uh, effective education, not mediocre education, not okay. It's okay for one school system to be exceptional and another to be struggling. And so in my role as a candidate for county legislator and hopefully as the um, representative for District 14, uh, I, I do consider everyone having equal access to exceptional education because I know what it's like to not have that and to go without. Yeah. So as you were telling your story, I, I resonated with 
what you said about growing up with a, a in a huge family with with so many grandchildren and not everyone having access to a quality education. And here at PP Parents for Public School Syracuse, that's really important to us to make sure working towards all the students here in Syracuse having access to a quality education. And I like that you said equal access because it's important. We don't know what our students are going to do if they don't have access to quality materials, quality instructors, quality opportunities. We don't know what their outcomes are gonna be if they don't have the access to begin with. Now, Maria, I wanna talk with you about access. What has your, your experience been like in terms of accessing education and educational services for your family? Um, I'll start with talking about my middle son. Uh, when we were going through the process of having him evaluated and getting him a diagnosis, he had a lot of very strong behaviors. He's violent, for instance. And um, what we kept have running into is my son would get suspended and this started in kindergarten, um, which, you know, literally removes him from access to his education for a period of time. And um, the school was very aware that we were seeking diagnosis that we understood that there was something more going on with him. And it really felt like the schools kept closing their doors to us and finding excuses as to why they didn't want it or why they weren't dealing with my child and why they weren't teaching my child as a, the way I felt they should have been in which, you know, as parents, we all want our children to get the education and it took us uh, I think it was like three years wow. before we were able to get him into an educational setting that worked for him hmm. um, in that process he had been suspended from kindergarten several times then again suspended in first grade several times and we even experienced times where it felt like administrators were actually pushing my son into the behaviors. So that was our experience with my middle son. And, and this, this wasn't in the Syracuse City School District. This was in a, another district in the county, yes? Yes. That the, okay. This one was North Syracuse School District. And now my youngest son is in Syracuse City School District. And um, he received early intervention services. Mm -hmm. And since beginning school, um, we've been seeking an IEP. We're often, we are, we've been told every time that he is academically on par with other students. But, you know, and has, but he has like some behaviors that are really worrying in an educational setting. Mm -hmm. So they're like, well, we can't give you an IEP. And then we have to try for the 504. 
And that's a process that feels like it keeps stalling. <laughs> so uh, he is in third grade now. And since the pandemic has begun, excuse me, he's, the behaviors have gotten much stronger and he has been completely refusing to do any work for the entire school year, really. Hmm. That's, that's gotta be really challenging. Now, I wanna talk about this, this idea where it's a, there seems to be this assumption that a student who is, who seems to be intelligent, who's doing well academically, doesn't need an individualized education plan. Even though they have a diagnosis that would otherwise qualify them for additional supports, even though they're struggling in other ways in a classroom, not necessarily with their academics. Now, you know, I want to talk to talk with you in your capacity as a special education teacher. This idea that if someone's smart enough, then they don't actually need any special education support. Do you see that as, as bearing true in your experiences in the classroom? I'm going to speak to that um, when it comes to my own personal experience. Like I said, I have a son who uh, I knew in kindergarten was different from his older sister. Um, and I remember the kindergarten teacher basically saying, it's going to be okay, don't worry about it. But I also remember when he was in, I want to say first grade, him coming home with a note on cardstock stuck to his shirt, explaining everything to me that he had done that day. Um, and I also remember him being, I want to say maybe in second grade and sitting down with the teacher and her telling me I shouldn't have to put up with him. And so my perspective, I'm going to give you from a parent and someone who decided I needed to get more involved. Um, I was told that he would not be identified as special ed because there was no um, discrepancy in how, in what he was able to do versus what he could do. And, you know, I thought to myself, so he's spends most of his day in the principal's office uh, he's losing recess regularly. He's kicked out of class. And this is from like kindergarten, first, second, third grade. So these, this is not an older kid. And every day is problematic. Every day you're calling me, I'm having to come up to the school. And then it's the, oh, wow, look at you. You're nothing like your sister. Oh, wow. Look at the, and so mm -hmm. I, I didn't know what to do. And what I realized was I had to be ready to fight every day. I had to be willing to fight every day. And I would have days yeah. where I was equipped for the fight. And then I would have days where all I could do was sit down and cry. I would have days where we had a good night and I was able to help him get his homework done and in the backpack and you know ready to go to school. And on those next days, I know nothing was turned in because I got a note from the teacher saying nothing was turned in, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, we worked so hard. There were days that all I could do was pray. And then there were days that, you know what, it's going to be a good day. And then there were days where I said, you cannot, you cannot refuse him access to the playground another time. 
he will go outside. You need to make sure he goes outside. And I don't care what he's done. He needs to go outside and play. Um, but what I will say was it was a battle every day. There were no days off. And so when someone tells me that, you know, it's so difficult, um, I can't get the support from administration, I can't get the support from teachers, I get notes home every day, there's always something. I know that. I lived that. In fact, I lived that from kindergarten to the time he was in the 10th grade. And so that was consistently every day of my life. And I had an older daughter who basically had to be sat on the back burner because of that. And so I say all that to say that it, it is going to be a fight every day. It's going to be a fight every day. And whether you are writing letters, sending emails, going up to the school, going up to the school with friends and family and people who support your children with you, um, it's, it's unfortunate. And when I look at the big picture, I think about the number of people who, you know, opted out of education because they didn't have that fight in them or because they were just set up for failure. Um, but what, what I would say to Samantha is every day, every day was a fight every day. I don't even know if there was a day that I didn't cry about it. I don't even know if there was a day that I didn't cry, you know? because every day was hard, every day. Yeah, I feel that, I feel that. Um, I, 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 understand, I, I feel that, I've experienced that, that fighting every day for everything. And it's, it's disheartening that this is, this is still what parents have to go through to get the appropriate educational services for their children. So my, my next question then is, what can we do here in Syracuse to reduce parents having to fight every day against the system to get the education that they are, it's, a, it's their right that's granted to them by law. How do we get past this, this quagmire of people being stuck and this constant fight and struggle that parents have to go through to be able to be confident that their children are getting the education that they need. Uh, Dr. Chanel, you, can you uh, speak to that? Yes, I can. I would say the best course of action is to build alliances, uh, create uh, groups of people who are ready, because I don't think there's any such thing as we don't have to fight anymore. I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm never gonna believe that. But I, I do believe when you create alliances like Parents for Public School and get people who are like-minded, who are willing to stand in the trenches with you, who are willing to be the force, to be the movement, I, I think that amazing things can happen when you get uh, a small group of people together who are working towards the same goal. Uh, I do believe that you, you have to build alliances. And so you have to get together with other community members who understand your struggle. I can tell you when it came to my son, there were times that when we had a parent-teacher conference, I was there, his uncles were there, his grandfather was there, his grandmother was there, 
friends of the family were there. And so now teacher and administration sit and talk to all 10 of us, you know, talk to all of us about this situation and let's figure out how we can do this together. Because what we have to realize is even though they talk about the academic team, mom, you are the academic team. Your child is the academic team. When it came to my son, I'm the academic team. I make the final decision, but you get people who you can build alliances with, who will go to these meetings with you, who will help you write these letters, who will help you send these emails, and you you create that network because we are stronger together. Together, we can move mountains. If you are standing by yourself, expecting to make change, as much as we would love this to happen, it's impossible. But if you got 10 like-minded people going into a room with you, or if you got 10 like-minded people signing an email with you or signing a petition or signing a letter or creating an alliance, together you can move mountains. I love that. I love that you said that because that is a part of what Parents for Public Schools Syracuse is all about. Making sure that Families are supported in advocating for themselves, for their education, for their students. And it's a big part of what I do with with all of my other activities as an advocate, letting people know that they're not alone, that they are not the first to go through this struggle. And unfortunately, they will not be the last. But I think it's, it's important that, as you pointed out, we go together in mass, in large numbers, to communicate to the schools, to the district that, look, we're here for our kids and we want what is right and we want what they are owed. Uh, Maria, I want to, I want you to speak to that a little bit and um, talk about that, that experience of having to fight and what it's like when you're fighting alone and when you're fighting with, with someone beside you. Um, absolutely, Sam. Okay. Um, <laughs> in over the years through the fights, um, for my youngest, it was it, it was for the longest time really only me fighting to be getting help with him because I don't have a strong family support network. Um, Xavier's dad has some mental health issues that keep him from being able to participate in his, his son's education in the same way. And in that period, it was definitely a very lonely feeling. Um, it gets to the point where it feels like everyone is just out to get you. Mm. Um, the decisions that are being made are just just to make you angry. And even though rationally you can look at that and go, obviously that's not true. There are times in the fight that it, you just feel like they are there to just be out to get you and to discourage you and to tell you no. <laughs> um, later on, I've had Sam helping me in kind of navigating the systems and who I should be talking to. And she's gone to a CPSC meeting for me with me before. 
and now I at least have, you know, caseworkers and people in the community to help support me and my son in getting him the education that he needs. It make it did take a huge weight off my shoulder when other people began helping me because now I wasn't feeling so alone. I had someone I could turn to and say, hey, having a rough day today. This is what's happening. What can I do to get past this obstacle? What can we do to get past this obstacle? And that has helped immensely, particularly in my own mental health. Mm. Um, when you had said that, I don't think there was ever a day I didn't cry about it. And, you know, that spoke really deeply because even as you said that, I wanted to start crying just from how stressful it all has been. And once you get some people to help support you, it helps you be able to think better and more people listen to what you're saying when you have someone supporting what you're saying. Can I, can I say this? It wasn't into, my son is 28 years old now. It wasn't into until probably like four years ago that I didn't get choked up when I told his story. Maybe like four years ago, I gave, I, I remember the last time I gave a talk and I was discussing because people asked, what brought you to education? He brought me to education. I would have never considered teaching. I would not, I would not have done this to myself. Um, it was him. And I remember standing on stage and talking about it. And I started to choke up because I remember. I remember like it was yesterday. I remember every note. I remember every call. I remember all of the frustration. I remember being overwhelmed by everything. I remember being out of my league. I knew I was. I was not equipped to deal with anybody I was talking to. And they talked over me and they used acronyms and I didn't know what they meant. And I just sit, sat there like, how am I supposed to ensure that my son is not another statistic? How am I supposed to ensure that he is not scooped up by gang culture because that's what we knew in my neighborhood. How am I supposed to make sure of this? And the only thing I was could think of was, I'm gonna be a teacher. I'm gonna become a teacher, fine, you know? And I think about when he wasn't, when he was finally able to do what I thought he should be able to do. I felt like we had turned the corner. I felt like, okay, now I can get out of this. You know what I realized? I was a mom who was able to change her entire life, go on a trajectory that was never what I intended to do to advocate for my son. I am not going to leave education now because there aren't a lot of moms who are able to just stop what they're doing and become a teacher. And so I stayed in education because of that. I see what's going on, but I know that when it comes to making change, we are the change. It is up to us. We have to make things happen. Yeah, we start with our schools and then we move to our districts and then we go to the state and we do whatever we have to do. But there is power in the numbers and together we can move the mountains. 
I know what it's like to be overwhelmed. I know what it's like to sit and cry every day. I know what it's like to stay up all night and do homework with the kid and know that the homework is not gonna get turned in the next day. And not one person is going to go into the backpack and say, oh my gosh, I know it's in here because I know you did it because I talked to your mother last night. You know, Mm -hmm. that was my life from kindergarten to 10th grade. 10th grade. And then one day he came home and he said, mom, I got to be on my research paper. And I thought I was like, how did you get a B on it? Because we didn't do it. And you know what he said? I talked to my teacher about it. And I thought to myself, we've turned the corner. We've turned the corner there. there it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But I can tell you from kindergarten to 10th grade, it was not okay. It was not okay. I had to learn how to not always go from zero to 60 when dealing with him, you know, not to be angry. Everything doesn't just, I mean, everything doesn't deserve a scolding uh, time out. Some things is like, oh, well, you didn't do it. All right, we'll figure it out tomorrow. You know, Um, everything doesn't deserve correction when you know there's something going on. And I got to the point where I was just too tired to discipline again. I was too tired, but I mean, all I could do was cry, you know, all I could do was cry. And, you know, but we, we turned the corner, we turned the corner and, you know, uh, there was support. I, I, I went to group. I, I, I got into programs with other mothers we got into programs with other families. You know, I was a single mom. So it was me and my son and my daughter. My daughter is a couple of years older. And, you know, if that meant that we had to go to group sessions with other families just to figure out how do we navigate these spaces because there is so much frustration and I just need to talk to someone. And what if I can talk to someone and not have to cry today? What if I could just talk to someone? And that, that we're three very different people with three different life experiences. But in this one, in this one way, this one situation, we are very similar. I, you know, Chanel, you and I, we've kind of, you, you've gotten through that. I'm at the tail end of it right now. Maria, you're just starting. And I, I have to think, why is it that it is so hard? for kiddos like ours to get what they need. Why is it such a fight? Why is it such a struggle? Why do we have to go to such great lengths and endure so much emotional distress in order to get the right supports for our children? And we're the ones who have the capacity to do it. We have the the knowledge, we have the know-how, we have the drive, we have a, 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 a support network to get us through that. For those who don't have that, that knowledge and that support network, they're crushed by the system. And is that, I always wonder, what's behind that? Now, do you want to take a stab at that? You're still on mute. I truly believe there need to be more people like you and I and Maria in public office. I believe that because I think oftentimes we have officials who don't understand what regular folk are experiencing. 
And I think that when you get to the state level and the federal level, um, people are so far removed. Um, like I said, I just stopped crying when I talk about my son four years ago. And depending on what story I tell, I may still tear up. But what I will say is I, I do believe that representation matters. I do, I do believe that um, to have someone who has walked the walk, talked the talk, and you know, been on the front lines of the educational system, I believe those are the people who can advocate for parents like you and I and Maria the best. I believe that uh, someone like yourself should be considering a public post because you understand. I do believe that. I believe that uh, a parent like Maria should be considering what is her next move because I believe that we are better for people like you, like her, taking a stand for all of us. I do believe that. Um, I, I just, I think sometimes people are too far removed from what the reality really is. I, I appreciate that. And I have had similar sentiments in that people who are making this, the decisions are not the people who have to live with those decisions. And, you know, maybe one day I will be running for office, who knows? Uh, but for right now, you know, we're, we're kind of trying to figure out what are the ways that we can, you know, what is the issue here and how can we, how can we correct that so families aren't struggling? Maria, I wanted, I wanted to get your feedback on why do you think it's so hard for schools to educate children and provide the educational services that they're supposed to? Um, from a parental point of view, it feels like it's always a question of the almighty dollar. I know I've been told many times before, well, because your son is so smart and can keep up with his peers, which admittedly a lot of stuff happened behind the scenes at home to make that happen. Um, but because of that, and you know, we don't have the budget to give services to students who don't need it. And, mm. and I've heard that more than once and it's disheartening because again, you know, at home we're working four or five times harder than the parents of neurotypical children to keep our students as close to their peers as possible, which is exhausting for us. Um, it's exhausting, it's stressful. And then to say, hey, you know, I need help from you guys. You know, it's getting to the point, it's too hard to keep him up with everybody else. We need some help. They go, oh, well, we don't have the money to help you until he's actually behind. Mm. And I always feel like the school districts and legislations look at this and say, well, you know, we'll just put the fire out when it happens instead of buying a, you know, fire extinguisher or some smoke detectors. <laughs> yes, yes, I, 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 I totally get that. And uh, this, this waiting for kids to fail, that seems to be how special education is run for us, for families. It makes no sense to let a child fail before you offer them help the opportune time to help them would be while they're still struggling before they have hit that failure mark. 
that um, has that's never made sense to me. Here we are. Yeah. <laughs> you it, know. And I feel a little bit like um, students like mine and families like mine who have that time were kind of punished and told, yep, you have to continue tearing your hair out at home until your kid fails. <laughs> and then and then we can help you. Then we can, you know, keep you from tearing your hair out and crying and stomping and screaming and the gnashing of the teeth thing. <laughs> and flipping tables. Dr. Chanel, you were going to say? Yeah, you know, I just, I, I think when I look at the big picture, I ask myself, you consider all the changes that have taken place in society. I mean, all of the changes from how we communicate, having phones, um, how we do everything has evolved in society with the exception of how we do education how we do school. School yeah. has not evolved since its inception. We still do it the same way. Um, I, I think there needs to be a push to reimagine education. Um, I've said this before and I will say it again and I will continue to say it. I believe every student deserves an individualized program. And yes. I believe that when it comes to education, we should look at students based on who they are, the whole child, not just what they can do on standardized mm -hmm. tests or in the classroom. I believe that, I, I just, I've always believed it. I believe to adequately meet the needs of our students, we need to look at them individually. Um, yeah. I'm sure there's always going to be pushback to that. Oh, we can't, or why we can't, why can't we reimagine? We've reimagined everything mm -hmm. else. I do believe that there should be documentation that every student has that says, this is who I am. My strengths are A, B, C, and D. I learn best X, Y, and Z. My learning preferences and my learning styles are one, two, and three. I do believe that, you know, and mm -hmm. my interests are seven, eight, and nine. You know, I just, mm -hmm. I, I, I believe that um, we need to reimagine education. And I think it takes people who are willing to speak out and talk about what the possibilities could be. I think oftentimes we just have too many people saying this is how we've done it and this is how we can, we will always do it. Why? Why? Yes. And why is one of my favorite questions. It got me into a lot of trouble when I was a child. It, it still gets me into trouble. Because Yes. Why is it that we keep doing this way? Yes, we've always done it that way, but clearly that way is not working. So why do we keep doing it? And I, I, I like your emphasis on, on reimagining. Here in my office, we talk about redefining education because you're right, it hasn't changed. We're still working with an education system that was put together in the 19th century. We're in the 21st century. So what does 21st century education look like? What does 21st century education look like for students who have disabilities? And so 
what does 21st century education look like? What does that need to look like so that everyone has equal access, every student has the support that they need in the classroom? But Dr. Chanel, what does 21st century education look like? Student-centered and student-focused. That's what it looks like. It looks like my son's education should be based on who my son is, not whatever programs you have at your building. That's what it looks like. It looks student-centered from a student's perspective. Sometimes I look at education, I'm like, you know, if businesses were ran like education, they'd go under. Our students mm -hmm. are, are our clients. They are the people we serve. So education should be student-centered. It should be focused on the client, you know? And I, and I think that we are, we are, as educators are afraid to do that. I'll also say that education was brought to a halt abruptly in March. We had an opportunity to reimagine it. We had an opportunity to consider no boxes. We had an opportunity to do something different. We did, you know? Um, I just, I, I think that, um, I'll say this, when I was in my graduate program, my doctorate program, I remember being asked, what does your perfect educational environment look like? And I said, well, based on the guidelines for public education, and my chair said, no, that's not what I said. I said, what does your ideal, what does your dream, what do you envision for an educational system? not based on anything we have in place. What does it look like? And my response was student-centered, student-focused, serving the client, which is the student. And so mm. I just, I believe it. I'm never gonna not believe it. I know that we need to consider our most precious resource when it comes to reimagining and redefining education. Mm. Maria, how about you? What does a 21st century education look like for you? Um, I definitely agree. It should be student-centered. Um, we as people, including our small people, we know what we need to do things. And even our children with disabilities have our way, their ways of telling us what they need. And I feel like 21st century education would be listening to that student saying, okay, this is what you need. Here's how we can support you there. Instead of how things are, this is your program or this is our program and this is how you're going to do it. Mm. Um, I feel like our school systems previously were focused on what people were expected to be doing when they grow up which was primarily doing things like working in factories, working on farms, you know, being the more mm -hmm. manual labor that built the country, but we've moved on from that. Now we need intellectuals. So we need to raise intellectuals. Mm, yes. Yes. I like the way you stated that. And that was part of my point in, we have an education system that was built for the 19th century and we're in the 21st century, we do need to raise intellectuals. And we need to raise tradespeople. 
And we need to raise the people who can look at a computer, take it apart, put it back together, and it still works. I'm good at taking it apart. Sometimes it still works when I put it back together. <laughs> so we do need to, to change and redefine uh, basically overhaul the way that we do education. And I wanna get down to specifics here in Syracuse. What are some of the things that, that if all of a sudden you were, you were emperor, you had your complete dictator, you could dictate how everything went and everybody would follow through. What would you change about the Syracuse City School District and the way that education is provided here in Syracuse? Maria? I, I think I would change um, how we look at our students, how the system looks at students. Um, if, if I could wave a magic wand, there would be supports in every classroom because even though my son absolutely needs that support on a very regular basis, even neurotypical students could benefit from having extra support within the classroom. Hmm. Um, I would definitely, classrooms would be integrated so that all students can see the differences among themselves. Because um, I think one of the big problems that we have is our more severe students get separated out, pushed to the side, and then that student is feeling a little more segregated and mm -hmm. other students are never exposed to that. They don't know when they grow up really how to be around someone like this. Mm -hmm. And I think that has led a lot to problems with accepting. Um, I apologize, I kind of went off on a rant there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, you're fine, you're fine. I, I totally know where that came from and where you're going. And yes, <laughs> absolutely, yes. Uh, Dr. Chanel? Uh -huh. Oh, Maria, are you done? All right. Yes. Okay, <laughs> Dr. Chanel, same question for you. If I had an opportunity to reimagine education, um, I think I would consider every every space, every venue, uh, an opportunity for learning, first off. And so it wouldn't be confined to the schoolhouse. Um, I would want to use people who are in all walks of life, um, whether it be the businessman in a Fortune 500 company, or um, a um, programmer at Google, or a farmer, you know, in the Midwest, or an inventor in Africa. I would want students to have access to everything. Um, I would most certainly make sure every student was on an individualized program based on their talents, strengths, abilities, um, interests. I would uh, 
reach out to people who represent diverse backgrounds and situations and be deliberate about making sure students see a reflection of them in a position of success. Um, and dare I say a position of power, um, mm -hmm. I would, uh, you know, in thinking about students that I've come in contact with, who, my students who love music, I would make sure they were connected to people who have been or stood where they're standing and now are standing somewhere else, where else, so that they know what it's like to go from fifth grade to a great composer. You know, mm. I, I believe that we shouldn't have to be limited to what's in front of us when we have the most powerful computer in our hand. And so for me, reimagining would be really allowing students to have access to the world and all of the good that is in it and all of the information and the knowledge and, and the people, um, human capital, you know, um, local human capital, regional, national, global. I think that there are so many ways that we could do this that we are just not envisioning it. Um, I think there is something for everyone and it doesn't have to be within those four walls. I do believe that, you know, I believe that. Um, I believe this is the system that we have right now, but I think that is up to people who don't mind envisioning and people who don't mind uh, stretching and pushing the envelope and challenging those in power to consider other options and other avenues and other opportunities. Well, here at Parents for Public Schools Syracuse, we certainly have no problem with pushing for, for change and we have great imaginations for what education could look like and what equal access. I, I keep coming back to that because it it is, it's so much of what education should be about having access to what you need and not having that access limited by say a budget or limited by the zip code you live in, or limited by your, your disabilities, or limited by your first language. We really do want to have that equal access for all of our students. And we want to have the, all of the resources in place for them to access. It's really hard to have equal access if a school doesn't have the resources it needs for a student. And it is it coming back to this experience as, as parents, as mothers of children who don't quite fit the mold and so don't really fit into the classroom the ways that they're constructed now. Yeah, it was very clear that, you know, there was supposed to be this cookie cutter kind of thing of this is the way we do education and this is the way we're gonna do education for your child except that that didn't work for my child. It doesn't really work for any of my children. We're a quirky bunch over here. So I, I like 
and, and it's really important to me, and it's also important to, to Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse, that schools are equipped with the resources that they need to educate the students that are coming in their doors. And it's important to me for the Syracuse City School District to have the tools that they need to educate the students that are coming in their doors. And I want to touch on you know, the elephant in the room that's completely transformed all of our lives, COVID. It turned everything upside down. Students were sent home abruptly. Families were, were sent struggling to figure out how to do this. I became a speech language pathologist and an occupational therapist even more so than I usually was, trying to, you know, maintain the skills that that my kiddo with a disability has worked so hard for. And uh, it it's not an easy job. The kids are stressed, parents are stressed. So speak to that a little bit about what kinds of pressure that COVID is putting on the education system and what we have an opportunity for change. We have an opportunity to do something different. So what do you see COVID exposing in education here in Syracuse? So what I know for sure as an educator for the past 20 years is um, education is a microcosm of our greater society. And what COVID did was expose the disparities in our society, of course, but overwhelmingly in our school systems. And how, you know, our students who were often set aside will now be left behind. And I think that was the most glaring tell during this entire pandemic. Um, there are students who are left behind. And I didn't say were, they are still left behind. And I think that there are communities who suffered, but this past year, we will see the impact of the students who suffered years down the line. We will see this impact. Um, because like I said, we know the disparities in society. We know what, as people who represent diverse backgrounds and situations not so typical, um, we know what we deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. But it, it was like a flashlight, a strobe light shined on what our students and our families are having to endure right now. That's, mm -hmm. what, that's what happened. And if people didn't know, um, it, it, it's shameful because it's a, there are a whole lot of us who always knew. Yeah. There are a whole yeah. lot of us who always knew. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Maria, how about you? Um, are you asking how it's looked for us parents? Um, or how I view the school's reactions. <laughs> sure, how do you view the school's reactions? Um, I know 
for my stu my youngest, there was really no model for him. Um, because he doesn't have the IEP and he doesn't have that kind of support. He, he's not able to go to school every day. And that lack of structure has been a real challenge for him and has led to him being left behind. Uh, he didn't want, he wasn't able to be focused on the virtual learning and only going two days a week would um, be more disruptive than helpful for him. So there was nothing, there was no structure in the COVID response for students like him. And he, again, since March, he has really not logged into school, no matter how many times, you know, we're telling and we're asking and we're pleading and we're begging and we're screaming and we're yelling and none of it's getting through to him. We can't force him into a situation that he's not going to do. Hmm from home. So we're one of those families that are seeing our student be left behind. Yes, it, it did seem like the, the response to COVID really did, it, it busted the cracks wide open. And those of us who knew they were already there, we watched everyone else's eyes open and now the question remains, what are we going to do about them? Now, we are, we're, we're out of time and I, and, and I wanna stay true to my word and not keep you here and, any longer. I'm really impressed that we all made it through this without crying. I, I wasn't so sure that I, that I wasn't gonna burst into tears at some point. Because this, is, <laughs> this, is, this is hard and- You know, I, I do want to say something. Um, like I said, my son is 28 now and he was, he, he did okay. He, he, he did well, he did well. And it didn't look like he was going to in the kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third. It, it didn't look like he was going to, but um, he spent 10 years in the United States Air Force and he did well. He just retired this year and now he is a private contract. He did well. And I, I'm so proud of him because mm -hmm. I know what it was like to struggle because I was there with him. And for mothers who have not turned the corner yet, I will say, um, continue to fight the good fight. Um, continue to keep your support systems and continue to prioritize their education, his education, them, those children, you know, continue yes. to prioritize the education because um, I hated that I had to fight every day, but I wouldn't change anything. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't change anything because being able to stand up and look at him now and knows that he feels like a successful man, I would not change a thing not a tear, 
um, not a level of frustration, not being overwhelmed, yeah. mm-hmm. not my trajectory in education. I wouldn't change a thing because he is successful. And that is what mattered most. I will say, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel and it's not a freight train and you just can't see it right now. That's yeah. all. You just can't see it right now. I know. Yes. I know. I know. You just can't see it right now. But there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Yes, we we keep telling ourselves that. Okay, that light, it it doesn't, it isn't always a freight train. <laughs> So I want to thank you so thank you both so much for for coming on the show and sharing your experiences and your opinions about education. This is Fireside Chat Fridays. We are sponsored by Parents for Public Schools of Syracuse, where we talk about all things related to education here in Syracuse, and we work to create a community that is committed towards equity and education for our students here in Syracuse. Thank you, Dr. Chanel Benson-Reed, and I wish you well in your campaign. Thank you, Maria, for, for being on and give the kids a hand for staying quiet and not photobombing our video. Also, give my kids a shout out for managing to not photobomb this video. They were here in the office with me tonight. And I'm excited, Maria, for what your kiddos are going to do because they are some fabulous, fabulous children. Thank you. And you know, if any anything's anything's going down, you know, call me. I'll pull up, okay? (laughs) All right, all right. So we're on every Friday at six o'clock on Facebook. We're on the Parents for Public Schools Syracuse page. We're on the Neurodiversity Consulting page. And we're also on the Santia A Calendar Incorporated page. Thank you again. My name is Samantha Pierce, the Idea Dynamo, and I really appreciate you taking some of your time out to chat with us.